Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. call in as a guest because once in a uh, once again my direct connect um you couldn't hear me and i was uh panicking so i called in as a guest uh an auspicious way to start my first uh guest pod for fanball but we have it uh, mike can hear me i can hear him uh welcome to the best ball podcast for fanball mfl 10s have a new owner it is fanball. The leagues are in full bloom. Uh, I'm playing. I'm in about seven or eight leagues right now, and uh, I love the new setup. Um, so basically, it is the same format that you've known and loved with more options, more states, and more fun. And no one is happier about more states than my current guest, Mike Margosian. You can find him on Twitter at Mike Marr, that's with M-A-R with uh, F-F, is, uh, I think I got that right. That's correct. And um, Mike was someone who uh, is the perfect test case for more states, more fun, because you weren't allowed to play best ball last year, were you? That's correct. Yeah, I was banned in Massachusetts. I could not play NFL 10s last year. So um, what's your initial take on the new uh options and you know just the interface so far i mean there's definitely a lot uh i mean i could talk about for a long time on this stuff but you know just starting at the options just you know the the option of the four hour versus the eight hour clock is huge uh i'm personally an eight hour guy just because the way my job is sometimes i might four hours might not work but for some people that is absolutely perfect they can go a little quicker you know with the overnight pause in the four hours uh, eight hours perfect for me. It's the same as before, and then even the payout options. You know, has the traditional where the first gets the the hundred bucks and the ten, and then the second place gets the you know smaller prize, and then have the the top three option, which is what I'm doing now because I'm kind of I'm not a swing for the fences kind of guy. I'm usually more little conservative. I'd rather win a little bit less but have better odds of winning that. So I've been doing the, those top three ones. And then once the, the 50-50s roll out, I think I'm going to do a lot of those. So just, I mean, those three options are fantastic. And yeah. I wasn't able to do the 50-50s last year on, MFL, on my fantasy league. So I'm glad uh, Fanball kept that. I won't do the 50-50s. Um, you know, uh, maybe I will win if they have them in higher stakes. Um, but definitely, I thought I would be a classic eight-hour guy. But when you do 10 to 15 drafts at a time like I do, and you're old like I am, at times last year I would find myself waking up, you know, I'd go to bed like 10 o'clock, 
and I'd wake up at like three in the morning and I'd be like, I got to check my teams because if I go back to bed and I wake up at 7.15 or 7.30, that's more than eight hours I might get skipped. So I have been playing the four-hour timer. I typically can get to check um, every four hours, if, even if I'm working. It's very rare when I can't. And then you get the seven-hour overnight. So I, uh, it's overall, I think that's going to be better for me. I've been mixing between the top three and the winner-take-all with the $5 credit, kind of mixing that 50-50 so far. Um, but that's kind of how I've been playing it. But uh, the, the interface has a lot of things going for it, and I know that they, the, the management at Fanball is taking uh, suggestions for improvements and that there's a list for improvements. So if you're listening to the pod and you have thoughts on how you'd like to see MFLs be better, uh, send that along. But the one thing that I'm very pleased about, Mike, is the team page. What are your thoughts on the team page? Oh, it's fantastic. Just being able to kind of see everything right there. You know, I'm looking at it right now. You know, it's saying I have, you know, four picks until my turn, seven picks until my turn, what round it is, you know, right there, just at a quick glance, and it refreshes automatically uh, every few minutes. So just pull it up there, you know, let me know if I'm on deck or on the clock. You know, it's just a nice quick way of just seeing it instantly. Yep, and I, I forgot to mention because I kind of had the weird open uh, but Mike is the best ball draft analyst for 4 for 4 football. Um, and he was, when I first got into doing MFL 10s, kind of one of the lead guys out there um, as far as information and trying different things. He even sold his own uh, ADP tool, which was very helpful. Um, so it's really great to have Mike back and doing uh, MFLs, and, and that's why I wanted to have him as this guest, because we're going to be talking about uh, MFL, introduction to MFL 10s. We're going to go through some of the basic strategies. Um, this article will, this will be posted with my article on, on uh, the, the Fanball website and with a link to the podcast, so you'll be able to check it out there. Uh, but we're also going to talk for, in a way where, you know, people who have played it a little more um, could also get something out of it. So we're going to go through that. And then with all the news today, we would, you know, not be doing the best for our listeners if we didn't talk a little free agent news. So we're going to do that. Um, Mike, you know, again, you've been involved in this pretty heavily. What's the most important thing that you think someone who's going to be doing MFLs or, you know, for the first time should be doing and help them transition a little bit from season long. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So there's obviously a lot of key differences. So uh, obviously one of the first ones right off the bat is, you know, it's best ball. There's no waiver wire. There's nothing. So, you know, you can't roll with, you know, your one quarterback or one tight end or one defense just simply because there's no option to add more during the season. So that's the first glaring difference right there, right off the bat, before you even get in, into strategy or anything, is whatever you draft, that's what you get. And you kind of have to, you know, make sure your brain switches to that so you're not, not setting up for a, a, your regular redraft team. I, absolutely. So, 
Um, you know, I always joke that MFL 10s are kind of like the one-night stand of fantasy football. I think most people who have got into fantasy football and gotten hooked end up having more teams. You know, we enjoy drafting so much that we end up in more leagues than we can comfortably manage during the season. Best ball kind of fixes that, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's uh if the great for those people that love drafting, like that, like to do the mocks. But you know, everyone that's done mocks before, you know, especially before the best balls really came out, you kind of got frustrated. People would join the mocks, and if they didn't get the guys they liked, or after round six they would drop out, and then it was complete junk. So you you know wasted your time. So doing the doing this with you know even just a ten dollar one, you know it's you know not you know completely free. It's not cheap, but it's, you know it's ten bucks. So people have some skin in the game, but people are still taking it seriously because you get that that $100 prize. Yep, and, you know, one of the questions we're going to get into later is just about how serious a business uh, these leagues are. Um, But so besides just the fact of, you know, it's kind of a set it and forget it, you draft and then you're done, and then you check during the season to see how your teams are doing, um, there's a lot of strategy that goes into best ball, but before we get into all that, how many best balls were you doing a year before your, you know, they kicked you off? And, yeah. <laughs> and um, how many do you plan on doing about this year? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so I kind of had to write this down because it goes back too far from my, my memory, so I've, I've written this down here. So I actually did five back in 2013. I think that was actually the first year that there was they were offered. So I did five. I didn't really know what they were. I think I won one of them, you know, just kind of doing them for a novelty sake. Then kind of the next year is really really where I, uh, 2014 is really kicked up. I did uh, 40 that year. Uh, and then 2015, I actually did 70. And then 2016, the last year I could play, I did 100. And then there I started mixing in some of the, the $25 level ones. So I was doing more than, you know, $1,000 worth. So it was I think I did like $1,200 worth. So I did a good amount. So I think this year between, you know, especially if I add in those 50-50s, which are going to be, you know, lower lower risk, lower reward, you know, for those I might actually bump it up to the, the, the $20 level, do all $20 levels for that. But I think overall I'm going to shoot for the around the 1000 to $1,500 total buy-in kind of range. That's what I'm, I'm shooting for, whatever, how many drafts that kind of shakes out to be. Yeah, I um, I started out, I think I was uh, 80 my first year, which was pretty impressive since I just found out about them. Uh, my first two years were 80 and 115, and again, that was pretty impressive considering I didn't start until after the NFL draft, and then someone last year told me there's a lot of advantages to starting early, even if you're not like the biggest guy on rookies, which I'm not. Um, and I did 149 plus. I did 18 on um, other places. So I think it was $1,860 that I put into it last year. Um, I don't know if I'll go quite that heavy this year, but you know, in saying that, I I, I probably will get pretty close to that. Um, and speaking, you know, in my article, I write about how these leagues are both fun and challenging. As much as your life is spent on football and, and getting into this stuff, would you agree that these leagues are no joke? Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, definitely take it seriously. You know, as 
as you just kind of said, how much money you know you've invested, how much money you know I, I put in a year. You know, even the grand scheme of things, compared to some other guys, put in you know thousands and thousands of dollars into this. So they're taking it pretty seriously. So you get those guys, and then you even get like the Evan Silvas and some of the other you know big hitters that don't play a lot of these, but when they do play, they play it. That's the way they do their mocks. So they're they're taking it seriously too. So even if they even if they're just putting in a few hundred bucks, they're they're taking it seriously. And if you catch a draft with one of those guys, you know it's not not free money by any means. Yeah, it's, uh, I would, it's a challenge. I would say that pretty much every industry expert plays best ball leagues, MFL tens. Um, you know, so like you said. You got guys who use it as an income source. You know, there are people who did over 500 of these last year. So if this is your first draft and you, you know, you want to try them out, just realize that there are some strategies. My articles, my podcasts are going to help you during the year to be as prepared as possible. There's also a lot of great people like Mike and other people on the Internet giving information and, you know, studying and all of us, when we joined our first MFL 10, thought we were really good at fantasy football, and we were. We had won a lot. Um, but, you know, it's almost like, you, especially early to mid of the season, it, they're almost like all-star leagues, Mike. And when only one person wins, um, as it's been in the past, um, it, it, you're right. It does make it very challenging, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you just got to, to know that. But, you know, still a lot of it is, you know, picking the, picking the right guys. And even the industry experts know that, you know, you're drafting guys, you're drafting 20, 20 players and, you know, defense. You're not hitting on all those guys. Even the industry guys, they're lucky to hit however you want to define it, you know, a good half the percent of the time they're, they're being realistic. You know, you look at some of those industry guys' drafts from, you know, this time last year, you look at them, they're like, why the hell did they draft those guys? You know, hindsight being 2020 and all. So yeah. You, you, mean, do, you do have a chance. Uh, oh, absolutely. Everyone has a chance. But, uh, again, we're talking about things for people who are new to consider. Just keep in mind that, you know, that, 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 you know, that people take these seriously. They're a lot of fun. But Mike mentioned something that I think is also very important. My first year doing MFLs, I was not profitable in MFLs. I think I came like 10% short, but because I had done 80 drafts, when it came time to draft for my league, I was in much better position to draft in my league. So, yes, these leagues are a way to make money, but they're also a way to pre uh, prepare you for season long. With that in, Mike, in mind, Mike, uh, what are some of the biggest changes in the way that you approach and draft an MFL best an MFL ten versus a traditional redraft league? Well, I think one of the obviously the biggest topics that's been going on for the last few years is the whole streaming concept of you know especially quarterbacks and tight ends and defenses, and what you obviously can't do in this. So, you know, waiting on the quarterback is obviously still you know a viable strategy. Waiting on tight tight ends or defense could be a viable strategy depending on what you're trying to do. But keep in mind that in a regular redraft league, when you're when you're doing that strategy, when you're really streaming guys, part of that strategy is being able to pick up those waiver guys that come out of nowhere. Like a Goff last year was basically a waiver wire pickup, whereas in an NFL ten you can't pick them up. So 
that does you no good. So just being able to know that, that you can't punt the position completely and just pick guys up off the waiver, that's probably the absolute number one consideration. It sounds easier than it is because everyone wants to wait on quarterbacks, but you wait too long, you get this complete junk, and you're you're stuck with them for the whole season. That's Correct. probably the number one. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You got another one? Oh, yeah, and I was going to say, uh, you know, you kind of said, you know, how is it, there's the one winner in regular redraft and, you know, even dynasty leagues and, and all the other ones, you get four four or six teams to make the playoffs. And then once you get in the playoffs, then anything can happen. But in this, you're just shooting for first. So it's a different mindset as well. You can't – you're not just going for the safe guys. You need those guys with a big upside, the guys that are just going to get your, your boom weeks, your, your high-scoring weeks. The biggest thing for me is – I think that if you're new to best ball, you want to understand bye weeks are a lot more important in for the same reasons that you mentioned with no waivers. In a regular league, I pay very, very little attention to bye weeks because I have the ability to pick someone up. So if I'm, you know, if I'm looking at two or three players in a round, I'm always going to try and take my optimal, the highest guy on my board, right? Um, I have guys in tiers, but I'm going to take the guy who's highest up on my tier at a position I want to draft that round. Where in MFL 10, as the draft goes along, guys in tiers I have rated very closely, so I also like to mix up my buys because, you you know, if you take a goose egg in an MFL 10, um, because it's cumulative scoring, it's not wins and losses, it, it can really set you back. Would you agree that buys are more important in a, a best ball MFL 10 than in a season-long league? Yeah, absolutely, especially for the, you know, the quarterback, tight end, and defense. Because, you know, I've, seen, I've been in plenty of leagues, and there's, there's tons of them out there, that the winner has been decided by less than 10, 15 points, and that's what a quarterback or a defense could get you any week. So just that alone could have won or lost it for somebody. Exactly. And, and, and just in general... You know, uh, the other thing, if you do a lot of these drafts, is to to consider is your exposure to any one player. We all know that the NFL has injuries. And so if I'm, you know, last year in my best ball leagues, and I I had over 90% return on my investment last year. I won 29 out of 149 leagues, almost 20%, which is considered pretty good. I didn't have more than 23% ownership on any one player. Now, I I think that you don't have to limit your exposure down like that. And I don't, uh, I didn't, you know, start out by saying I'm only going to have 23% ownership, but I do tend to mix up my players. Um, If I, again, back to the whole thought on tiers, if I got three or four guys really close with the way injuries are in the NFL and the fact that you can't replace players, you know, why would you want to have 45% of one guy and 8% of another if you have them rated really close together? Do you think that that is an effective way to look at things, Mike? I think so, yeah. And especially, you know, the the, the higher up in the draft you go, you know, it's the, the first few rounds you're, is kind of out of your hands because it's, guys are going to be taken before you regardless. But in, in kind of those middle rounds, like that fifth to maybe, let's say, 10th or 11th round, kind of mixing up your tiers is huge uh, just because 
those guys should return you some you know good amount of points, but you can't rely on one guy because you get the injury. You don't want to kill all your teams. But on those guys that are like your 18th or 19th, 20th, your last three picks, you can get a little more exposure on those guys because you're you're not expecting much out of any, any of them. So if you're confident in one, you can kind of swing for the fences a little more more of the times on that one guy. And if he does hit, awesome. And if he doesn't, eh, you probably weren't hitting him anyway. I mean, the odds of hitting your 20th round wide receiver is pretty slim anyway. It was funny because last year I had like three or four guys. One of them got hurt, um, Malcolm Mitchell. Um, and a couple other ones turned into like Paul Richardson, Robbie Anderson, and like two. And, and then Chris Hogan kept dropping. He started out like a 16th, 17th round guy. Um, and he was dropping towards the end. So yeah, uh, even then, like. If there was no one else I liked, I would be would have been glad to have had 50% Robbie Anderson or 40%. Uh, but even then, if you like guys and you've got a few guys in a in a tier, you know, the thing you want to remember is eight and a half percent about is you know the average ownership on a player. You don't need to have 40% to be you know successful because it's risk, and, and risk is something we'll talk about more as we go into these podcasts. It's something that I focus on a lot. You want to have risk, uh, but realize if you're going to be super risky and have 50% on a guy that if he gets hurt and there was another guy you liked almost as much, even in a late round, um, you know, you're putting eggs in a basket in a way you might not need to. So, um, I definitely, though, agree with you, Mike, that in a later round, I'm more willing. If I really think someone is that good of a deal, I I'm I am more willing to have a higher ownership. Yeah, and I think that almost the great way of thinking about it is, let's say you had those three guys you really like. Obviously, you alternate between those three and kind of spread it around. But if you have four guys, spread it between those four. You know, just kind of pick how many late round sleepers that you have that generally go either undrafted or those super late rounds and just kind of spread it across that way because you're more times than not probably going to have your choice of any of those guys super late if they're, you know, that deep of a sleeper. So just kind of know that before you kind of really get going. uh, Yeah, again, back to the whole thing about buys, you know, that's a great tiebreaker mm. as well. If you look at your wide receiver core and you want to have seven, six or seven wide receivers, seven, by the way, is more optimal than six. Um, let's yeah. say you want to have seven wide receivers and you're picking your seventh wide receiver and he has a buy of, week, you know, you have two guys. One has a buy of week nine and one has a buy of week 10 and you've got two or three week nine guys already on your roster. This that's a great time to mix up your exposure and take the guy who is a tenth round buy. So that is kind of an introduction to roster construction, and roster construction is probably the thing that's written about the most in Best Ball, Mike. How do you understand roster construction and share with the people some of your strategies as it relates to the topic? Yeah, so in, t- in terms of, you know, especially for the, the, the newbies out there, for the new guys, just the the basic bare bones, what you should not leave a draft without. You know, I kind of wrote this down. You know, let me know if you disagree here. Obviously, two to three quarterbacks. 
you know, kind of jumping jumping forward, two to three tight ends, two to three defense, yes. kind of four to yes. six running backs, depending on the running I, backs, I think, of course. I think five and six, four, uh, uh, five and six is what I would call kind of a highway. Yep. Okay. Right, where, you, where, where, where most of the exposure is. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Four is, if you for some reason go four really early, like four out of your first five picks, Correct. and you're really comfortable with them, you might be able to five roll the to dice six, on that. Five though, would be considered, in you know, like, again, being in in the lane of proper roster construction. Yep, absolutely. And then, uh, yeah, seven to eight wide receivers. Yep, and six is, um, I wouldn't say it's, off the highway, but it's on the guardrail a little bit. You can go with six, but um, and then the, the the key thing is if you go with two or three quarterbacks, five or six running backs, um, six to eight wide receivers, and two to three defenses or uh, tight ends. The, you know those that's that's where the best roster construction historically is. Um, and the numbers bear out that that's the most effective way to do it. If you're, you know, unless you've got, like you said, some exotic uh, plan like Mike Beer's hyperfragile court uh, yep. running back <laughs> theory. Um, so that that is the basic roster construction that you want to meet. And everyone has a different view on kind of that last spot or two. Um, you really want to have the five to six uh, running backs, and you want to really have in most drafts, you know, seven, it, it, you know, six to eight wide receivers, and then it really comes down to picking between two quarterbacks, two defenses, and three tight ends. For me, Mike, most of my drafts last year had two quarterbacks, two defenses, and three tight ends. Um, but I don't think that there's a right or wrong once you get that far. Just the opposite, I think that you can go into it having a way that you want to do it, but that each draft is different and having the flexibility to to change within those you know main lanes is important, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, I've actually done some uh, number crunching for the last couple of years, and essentially it was a statistical tie for the winning teams that had two quarterbacks or three, two to three tight ends, two to three defense. So it, on the aggregate, just overall everything, it did make a difference. It was like half of a, half of a, it half did. of a percent. Yeah. So. I, well, from what I've seen from when Mike Beers did it, it, it tends to be between half a point and one and a half points. And not that that's not anything, but, you know, if I, like I like to be a two quarterback guy, and let's say I, you know, I, my second quarterback, I, I, you know, there's a run on quarterbacks earlier than normal in the draft, and I end up with a second quarterback that I'm not real confident in. Well, then I'm going to go with a, a, you know, a third quarterback in that draft rather than another position. Exactly, and uh, I know you've talked about this. I think we talked about this last time I was on, and I know you've written about this a lot. And actually, you know, a lot of people have written about this. Is there's a lot of different strategies involved? What you want to do, but the key is not to lock any one of those strategies into a draft. Correct, 
And then also, again, since this also is for beginners, it's an introduction to MFL-10s, what you don't want to do is just pick, pick guys, and then you wake up and, you know, every round you love the wide receiver. The highest guy on your board was a wide receiver, and you wake up in round 11 and you've got eight wide receivers already, and and that that can that's what you don't want to do. So for the basics of roster construction, it's not only about how many you end up with, but wouldn't you say what you do through the first ten rounds, you want to have at least uh, a skeleton of what your final roster construction is going to look like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just in a high-level nutshell. Yep. Yeah, 10 to 12, yeah. You know, let's, yeah, the first 10 to 12, you generally want to come out of there with at least one quarterback, one tight end, and they're most likely the rest running back wide receivers. Depending, you know, maybe throw another tight end, probably not another quarterback, but you know, generally just the running backs, wide receivers, and maybe two tight ends, maybe. Generally one. Obviously not no defense there. You should not have a defense through 12. No. In fact, I was talking to Mike Beers um, on he's got a new site um, where it's a best ball only Slack chat channel. Um, and we'll have Mike on to talk about that later in the season. But he mentioned that you should never draft the defense before the 17th round. I, I'm not quite that militant. I will draft the defense in the mid-16th round if there's, you know, like a, a defense that I love fell and there's nobody, you know, at times during the, se- the year, if you do these long enough, ADP changes and there just might not be anyone you have a good value on in the 16th round. I'll take a defense a little early, but taking it, you see in every draft, someone starts taking defense in the 13th or 14th round, chasing um, the best defense from the year before. Mike, tell them why that's such a bad idea. Just because it's so hard to actually predict defenses from year to year. They're so kind of volatile and just doesn't get you a lot of points. You know, you have two to three defenses. You're taking the best score of them week to week. It's going to be up or down, even the, pretty much the best defenses outside of, you know, one or two a year, which is hard to predict. So you get those couple. You're getting the best of whatever you're, whatever you picked, and you just got to roll with it, and it's not going to be that many points. So yep. sometimes, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but more times than not, a vast majority more times than not, it does not make or break your team. Yep. The other big thing that um, is very important, roster construction is important, but finding ADP crushers is the other thing that is very, very important. Um, finding those guys who have the potential to really beat their draft position um, how much time do you spend looking for ADP crushers? Uh, definitely a decent amount. Uh, kind of one of my, I know I know everyone kind of has to know their strengths. One of my strengths is more the strategy and the roster construction versus the player evaluation. So I kind of look to other people in terms of their player evaluation. So I'll, I'll read a lot of different things. And if some kind of resonate with me and I realize just looking at a lot of the ADP data and you know the drafts that I've done, the ones that are critically are criminally undervalued, 
those are the guys that I kind of I kind of target, just kind of pulling all the data that I can can gather together. Yep, and that's kind of, that's a very sound strategy for me. What I there's a couple ways that I look for ADP crushers. One, um, just like the stock market, you get guys that people are overly ex, uh, uh, enthusiastic on. And then there are people that people are down on maybe more than they should be. They might have come off an injury. They might have had a bad year last year. There might be a perception that they're you know, not going to get the workload that they would need. Um, you know, you have to do a lot of mental gymnastics when you're trying to find ADP crushers. Um, like one for me, I'll give you an example last year of a guy that did very, very well for me was Alvin Kamara. I liked him. I watched his tape. I had a decent amount of him. And then during the exhibition season, week two, they featured Kamara, and they played him a ton, and he looked amazing. Week three, they rested Kamara, and they played Adrian Peterson and Ingram, historically teams that play, you know, what week three is considered your dress rehearsal. So because Kamara was not in there for week three, his ADP dropped from like the 10th, 11th round to the 12th. I found him sometimes in the 14th round, and I was buying him left and right because I thought to myself, you know, that that old template might not apply here. And, you know, I, I he had played so well in week two, I wasn't going to give up on him just because, you know, of some old held thought about how week three has to be your dress rehearsal. And sure enough, Alvin Kamara from, you know, almost from Jump Street played. I mean, I didn't think he'd play as well as he did, but I, I thought he had a chance to do a lot better than the 12th, 13th, 14th round. Those are the kind of ways where you can find um, guys who people are down on, maybe for stupid reasons. Would you, would, do you have any examples of, of some of the things you look for in that regard? I can't think of uh, any specific examples because I'm, I'm a little rusty here since I couldn't play last year. But uh, You're right. just to kind of to kind of harken back to, I know you like to talk about uh, kind of the. Well, I'm blanking on the term that the the handcuffing with the upside. Stack what, 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 what do you call it? Call Stack cuffing. Yes, exactly. So I could kind of see that being the case where obviously you look at Adrian Peterson being you know on the older side and Ingram, you know, was decent at the time. You know, obviously did really well last year, but. You know, you saw Kamara on there, kind of the change of pace guy. He said, you know, he'll probably at the worst return the value that I'm getting. And at best, you know, you were probably hoping maybe fifth, sixth round value that he was going to shoot for, not, you know, for a second round. So you were hit the ceiling. You were were drafting at the ceiling or the the floor, rather. You're drafting at the floor. There you go. Yeah, you're drafting at the floor with the the ceiling upside. So that was, you kind of knew that. You're like, oh, at worst, I'm getting a perfect, perfect pick. At best, I'm and, getting, you know, exactly. this crazy pick. Well, and that's what you hope for. But, again, that's how you, you know, it's like if you're going to dig for gold, right? You, you know, in the old days, you'd have your pan and you put it in the water. And, and, you know, so for me, the way that I dig for gold is I look for You couldn't have said it better. I look for guys who I feel like the worst case, their floor is about where I'm drafting them. You know, I felt like Kamara had the, the pass-catching skills. Sean Payton had talked about him coming out, how much they loved him. They traded up for him. 
you know, I felt like at worst he was going to be able to pay off a 12th or 13th round pick. And then if something good happened, he would have a chance to way overdo that. And then with the release of Adrian Peterson, you know, he became a monster. Now, I couldn't predict the release of Adrian Peterson, but I could predict that Kamara was young, talented, and that at worst I thought I was not going to hurt myself by drafting him. That's the kind of thing that we talk about when we talk about ADP crushers, if you're new. The last topic I want to cover before we kind of transition quickly into some free agents, Mike, is rookies. Not everyone really understands rookies, especially before the NFL draft. Do you have any tips on how you like to look at rookies uh, in this early part before the NFL draft? I think this kind of kind of two parts of it one is kind of know your strengths uh i'm not a college football watcher at all almost i think i watch one game a year so rookies is definitely one of my weaknesses so i i might grab one of the top couple guys like barkley or or geis but after that i don't really know them very well i'm still kind of doing my research so i won't necessarily reach for them or, or go for them so you kind of know your strengths if you if you're a big rookie guy and you kind of know, oh, this running back is getting undervalued, and you know that, or you, you know, you you really strongly think that, you know, you know, go for it, go for it. But uh, just just in general, I, I completely avoid rookie quarterbacks and tight ends. Don't even touch them, just because rookie, especially rookie tight ends, they do like nothing. Uh, rookie running backs obviously do do a lot of stuff. I mean, look at you know Elliott and just countless other guys, the Kamara, as you just mentioned. And then rookie, rookie ride receivers, you know, I'll kind of take a spattering of them, you know, in the, the double-digit rounds. I won't reach for any of the, the top couple guys because they could quickly get buried, underachieve, you know, look at uh, was it Corey, Corey Davis there that just really didn't do anything throughout the year, but it was one of the top guys. So you just got to kind of, you know, a combination of know your strengths and – you know, target more of the running backs than the wide receivers, if anything. Yep. I, I again, I avoided, rook, uh, you know, drafting this early my first two years. Um, and last year I watched tape for the first time because I've always been good at, you know, in NFL games being able to spot talent. So I figured, hey, I'll give this tape watching a little um, a, a little try. And I missed on a couple guys, but like Kamara – was the guy that I love from watching tape. So if you think you have an eye to spot talent, um, you know, I would, what I'm doing right now is I'm going through, just like Mike recommended, the most likely position to hit. If you're going to study anything, study the running backs. Um, Like I've watched, you know, most of the top guys by now, like five or six, and I'll get, I'll finish that up. But then go and compare your thoughts to, an expert who really studies rookies. For me, the guy I use the most is Elliot Christ. You can find him on Twitter at Elliot Christ, I think it is. Um, if you do a search, uh, and Christ is with a C, he does these threads where he just kind of uses pictures and videos. And I mean, it's all right there on Twitter for you to get a thumbnail sketch of each player. Uh, but I don't think you want to completely avoid looking at rookies because, again, in the draft where one guy can win, and you know, in most, and you know, unless you're going to do one of the top threes, 
But even then, the money is really, you know, $75 of it's for first place. I think you, if you're going to draft this time of year, you really do want to look at rookies. And Elliot's a great um, guy to follow, and there's a few others on Twitter. Find someone that you like, compare your thoughts to what they see, and then, you know, consider where they might finish up and what, you know, where, you know, again, it's going to be risky. And we're going to talk again about risk a lot more as we go forward. But you want to build in a certain amount of risk into each one of your teams. And you just got to pick the way you do it. Um, what are your thoughts on risk, Mike? Yeah, I think, yeah, my thoughts on risk are kind of know what your goal is to some extent, too. Obviously, if you're playing the top three you know, top basically top one or the fifty fifties, obviously know that going in. But obviously kind of know your, your your risk level in general. Like I said, I'm not as big of a risk taker. I'd rather have a little safer floor, win a little less money, but have a better chance of winning that money. But if you're a guy that would rather win a bunch of money and you know, have a risk your time getting that and you kind of know that, then, you know, take a bunch of, you know, ceiling guys. So just kind of know that, you know, what, what your what your uh, goal is and kind of maybe draft semi-accordingly. But obviously your goal for any draft is to, to, to be first. Yep. And there was a lot to cover, so we went ran a little long on this uh, teaching segment. I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, so we're going to kind of just, you know, go a little longer than maybe normal, uh, and we're going to do a bonus round on free agency. I'm going to throw out a name, Mike, you just quickly, five, ten seconds, tell me, do you, do you like the landing spot? How do you think it's going to affect things? And we'll go to the next guy. The first one is Allen Robinson. Ended up in Chicago, a bit of surprise. A, a lot of people seemed down on the spot when it first got announced. What was your thoughts? I think it's uh, decent. It's not great, not bad. Yep, and I would agree. And I think that people, uh, again, we talk about, you know, ADP crushers, A-Rob, you know, going in the fourth round. We'll see if his ADP moves. I don't think it's going to move much on this. But, you know, people are going to consider Chicago the old Chicago and not consider the new coaching staff. Would you agree there's an opportunity and upside for the player because people are going to underestimate the, the, the landing spot? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's going fourth or fifth round, so you can – definitely has a slight value there, I think. All right. The next guy is very similar, Sammy Watkins. Thoughts on Sammy? Uh, he is going a lot later than than uh, you would think. So I would t I would definitely target him. Yeah, and I I think he was going in the seventh eighth round. Seventh round, yeah. I'm looking at the seventh right now. I I think he could probably return fourth or fifth value. So. Yeah, I I think overall I uh, again people are like well Kels is there and and Hill is there and. I just think that with a big arm quarterback like that, having two of the fastest guys in the league, you know, one of the things about uh, best ball is it's about putting up that big score each week. You know, if we could get 60 catches out of Sammy at 17.5 and nine TDs, like he put up in Buffalo in the fourth, fifth round, I think you'd be thrilled, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, so I, I think he's a player to monitor. Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. Uh, a lot of weapons. Diggs, uh, Diggs, and uh, what the hell is the guy's name? Thielen. 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 Yeah. I mean them. Kyle Rudolph. I think he's going to be definitely a value. Yeah. You know the interesting thing to me though is you know with that defense they might not be throwing as much late in games as Cousins has in Washington where they were down a lot. Any and, concern and about back. that? And Cook's What's back, that? too. Cook will oh, be yeah. dead. Cook, Dalvin, Dalvin Cook, Cook, yeah. Yep. So that, that's big. Yeah, I, I'm looking at just one random draft. He got drafted before Garoppolo, Cam Newton, Matthew Stafford. I wouldn't go that far. No. I'd put him you I, know, after after that group. I like me. Well, I'm a I'm a huge Jimmy Garoppolo truther. Um, it looks like who did they just get? They just got someone. Or they're talking about them getting someone. Oh, I did not see that. Uh, oh, Dion Lewis just signed with uh, the Titans. That is bad for Henry. Oh my. Oh God. wow, wow, bad for Dion Lewis too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jeez, they're gonna. Um, Kill each other. I, I, okay. I, I, I saw something with San Francisco, and I can't remember wh- uh, what I heard. Um, oh, gosh, that's going to drive me crazy. But um, <laughs> we, we don't got time to. Um, what do you think about um, Jimmy Graham? To Green Bay? I mean, Green Bay does throw to the tight ends a decent amount. I think he'll put up, you know, top 10 numbers. Yep, I, I, it, it doesn't really change his um, ADP for me. Ever since Jermichael Finley has left, they keep saying, well, he's the next Jermichael Finley. And, you know, it, it's interesting with Jordy getting cut. I do think it opens some, some things up. But I, I, I would have liked to have seen Jimmy Graham back with the Saints more than with the Packers. Would you agree with that? Would have, yeah, I think so. Uh, let's any other free agents you want to talk about? Uh, let's see. Well, Landry to, Landry to Cleveland was uh, an interesting one. I'm curious if he'll – you won't get the targets he got in Miami, but they might be a little more focused. I don't know. That's, it's a hard, to, hard to tell. It's probably a hair, hair of a step down. But, I mean, they do have Tyrod now but versus uh, Jay Cutler. Yeah. What, are you, what are your thoughts on Landry? Um, well, I, I, until I know who the quarterback is, it's really hard to uh, figure. Oh, I know who I, I saw. I I saw, uh, and I don't know if it's true, but I saw somewhere that um, the Raiders might let Crabtree go. Whoa! And and that <laughs> and that Crabtree going back, and they were making a thing about Crabtree and Sherman on the same team. Um, I would say that if Crabtree ends up back in San Francisco, I'm on I'm on Crabtree now, and honestly, I'd like to see him stay with Oakland. But if he goes over to the oh, to the Niners, I'll, I'll still be on him. Wow, that is yeah, that is crazy. I had not heard that, so that could be yeah. Uh... I mean, it, it was Rappaport, or maybe it was fake Rappaport. Maybe I'm I'm putting out fake. No, news. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking at it right now with uh, uh, Schefter talking. It says it. Yeah, that that would be. It was Schefter. You're right. Yeah. Nope, that's so, a fake one. That's a fake Schefter. Is it? Oh, jeez. Oh man. 
All right, well, fake news. Never mind, right, never so. mind, never mind. <laughs> All right, so hopefully Crabtree stays where he is. I, I I normally don't end up with like five out of nine early drafts, one guy, but I've been getting – I seem to be getting a ton of early picks, so I've been taking Crabtree at like 6'10", 6'11". You know, I mean, like if I see him late sixth round, I mean, I don't know how I pass on – you know, I mean, he's brought back much better value than that every year. Oh yeah, and it, you know, in that vein, I just got uh, in one draft, I got uh, Pierre Garcon in a tenth, which I which I really liked. So Crabtree would have hurt that. So it's that's one of the dangers, the upsides, and the downsides of drafting before free agency, during free agency, and before the rookie draft, before the NFL draft. And we'll talk more about, again, as we go forward, risk, risk management, building in some risk to your teams, but not overloading them with risk because it it can it can backfire on you. So we'll talk more about that. I want to thank my guest, Mike Margosian. Find him on Twitter, if you're not already, at Mike Marr, M-A-R-F-F. Check out his work on 4 for 4, one of my favorite sites. I'm a member there every year. And this year will be no different. Um, And, uh, Mike, thank you for joining us. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Fanball Run to Daylight Best Ball Podcast. Thank you for listening. Follow me on Twitter, at Todd from PA. That's Todd with one D. And have a great night, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.